0: Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. This is your host, Ken Wise. Thank you very much for tuning in today for a little bit of Texas history. Uh, Today, we're going to uh, listen to the first part of a wide ranging interview I was privileged enough to conduct with the retired chief of the Texas Rangers. Antonio Tony Leal. I've known Tony for a long time. He was the youngest. When he was in charge of the Texas Rangers he was the title was senior captain. It's now called Chief. Uh, He was the youngest chief in the history of the Rangers. He was also the first Hispanic chief of the Texas Rangers. Tony's had a remarkable law enforcement career and he was kind enough to spend some time with me on a recent morning. Um, I've divided the interview into two parts and I think you're going to learn a lot. We'll talk about his career. We'll talk about the structure of the Rangers. And uh, you'll learn some things you didn't know before. So in keeping with the continuing celebration of the 200th anniversary of the Texas Rangers, please enjoy part one of this interview with retired Senior Captain Tony Leal. Senior Captain Leal, welcome to Wise About Texas. Thanks so much for joining us today. Good morning. Well, I gotta tell the listeners first off, we've been friends for 20 plus years, and so I'm gonna slip and call you Tony, but you retired as senior captain of the Rangers. Tell us exactly what that means. I was the uh, commander of the Ranger force uh, of the
1: division statewide.
0: Okay, and that's uh, that's headquartered in Austin, right? Yes, sir. All right, well, before we get into the some of the Ranger stuff, tell us about your background, how you grew up, where you grew up.
1: I grew up in Fort Bend County. Uh, when I was born, my father was a uh, field captain at the Texas Department of Public Safety in Richmond. Uh, back then it was Harlem One, Harlem Two. Uh, it was headquarters there on 90 between Sugarland and Richmond. My dad had only done two things in his life. One was a uh, cowboy in South Texas, and the other was a U.S. Marine. So when he got back from the Marines, uh, he rode to, on his way back to the Valley, one of his marine buddies asked him that his parents had bought him a new car and he said well why don't you ride the bus with me from san diego california to houston we'll get in that new car and i'll drive you to the valley and so while they were in sugarland my father had never been to the houston area uh, he went to a dance with that fellow before who was from sugarland and he met who would then later be my mother during that trip so you know he met her uh, stayed for a few days wrote to each other as people did back then but he went back to the valley where uh, the Leal Ranch is been in our family uh, since the land-grant days right on the Rio Grande um, and was told by his father that he needed to find work because very old fashioned at that time he had an older brother and the older brother was going to take over that ranch and all he would ever be on that ranch was a hand and not inherit you know and, and that's how I have my uncle still run that ranch now uh, so my grandfather knew a guy named Espada who was the local U.S. Marshal in Cameron County uh, Deputy U.S. Marshal so in those days in the 50s uh, the Marshal's were like the real police you know now they do a lot of fugitive hunting but in a rural area like cameron county back then the marshals worked with the rangers and with the dps and with the locals and they just did a lot of general they did federal duties for the judges and the magistrates but they also were some of the guys that would just go out and help law enforcement arrest people so uh, my grandfather went to him and said uh, do you know anybody that can give this kid a job and he said what does he know how to do he said well he knows how to start horses break horses work on a ranch and he's a marine so that us marshal called bill estelle you've heard that name before mm-hmm. with the texas prison system and uh said hey do you need are you hiring anybody up there and he said yeah so he got back to my dad that there was a job as a uh, with tdc now tdcj uh on a ranch outside of houston which happened to be near sugarland so he took the ranch moved back there and so when uh, at, he and my mother later were married, and I grew up the first part of my life uh, at the um, prison unit in Sugarland, we had our own home there. And uh, my dad's main job uh, back then they were really farms, and they had cattle, they have hogs, they have you know uh, poultry and crops. And his main job was starting horses. Worked his way up to a dog sergeant, which brought him into working with the with the Rangers and the DPS when somebody would escape with the local sheriff's department and uh, was later uh, a field captain over the ranching division there. Uh, left later on after some of the uh, court changes to TDC, a lot of those old hands left after uh, Judge Justice uh, got involved yes. with, with uh, TDC. But I tell people I was destined to be a Texas highway patrolman because when my mother went into labor, back then there was no cell phones, there was no uh, even you know radio contact for the guys. They would get on, the, a guy would come, uh, inmate, a trustee would come pick up my father, I can see it in my head now, um, uh, trotting up to our house with my father's horse and he on a horse, and uh, they would leave 4.30 or 5, 6 in the morning sometimes, and they would go out to a field, to the, all the way to the Brazos River. Back then, that prison farm was huge. You know, Anybody that knows that area now, it's First Colony, it's ter- new territory. Those were all prison ranches. And they would ride out to work. So my mother went into labor while he was out there. So they had a party line from the house that would connect you to the main unit. And so she picked up the phone and called the main unit and said, you need to find Boss Leal because I'm going, and she didn't have a car at that time. I'm in labor. I'm going into labor. So um, TDC called the Sheriff's Department and said, we need a unit to go out and find Bossley Alley. He's supposed to be working down by the Brazos River uh, near where 99 is now. So it's a big bit of a hike back to the house. And a guy named AJ Madinka, who was a highway patrol sergeant in uh, Fort Bend County at that time, uh, said, I'm near there, I'll go by. And what he meant was, they thought he's going to go find my dad, but he stopped by the house. My, his wife had been my mother's elementary school teacher. So he put my mom in the car and drove her, in the highway patrol car, and drove her to the Sugarland Imperial Hospital, which it was at the time on Eldridge Road, and uh, and I was born. So my first ride, I tell people, <laughs> was in a
0: Texas Highway Patrol unit. Yeah, you entered the world connected with the Highway Patrol. Well, other than that, what drew you to law enforcement?
1: I, you know, I think being brought up in that in that, I, mean, I tell this and I've told this story before, is you know, back in that day, and I can I can see it now. There's a scene in the Sugarland Express. It looks I, every time I see it, it's the same scene. But the, all the roads were dirt back then, and I would see the Highway Patrol cars coming towards the unit, black and white back then, with the red spotlight on the side, slick tops with that state of Texas on the side, uh, white stripe down the middle, with the dust just coming up behind that patrol car. And I'd see the highway patrolmen, they'd come to the unit back then, get their boots shined, get their haircuts, get their uniforms pressed, you know, uh, because it was cheaper than going to a cleaners. And they were a big presence on that farm. And uh, during an escape or when something was going on, I would see uh, the highway patrol, the sheriff's department, um, huddled up talking about you know like you always see you still see it now when you watch TV on a on a manhunt they're talking and they're going to move out right and uh, I would see the Rangers there in their khaki suits with their uh, sets and uh, silver bellies on and I would I would just look at that and I would I would say I don't know what those guys are talking about but one of these days I'm going to know yeah. what they're talking about and uh, so in my mind from I mean I can't remember I, I honestly don't have a memory uh, of other than uh, going into the Marine Corps prior to becoming uh, like a dream of mine or my career path, other than, well, I'll go in the Marine Corps when I'm 18, but when I'm out, I'm going to uh, go to work for a DPS. I, I knew what the Rangers were. I knew, I met Rangers, uh, but, and I think any Ranger will tell you this, the goal is to be a Texas Highway Patrolman when when you join DPS. And I would say that if your goal is to be a Texas Ranger when you go to work for DPS, you'll never be a Ranger because the the, the want is to be the very best, what I thought. And look, I, I've got old friends, dear friends, people I've worked with in the FBI in in local police, Houston Police Department's got one of the best, if not the best homicide divisions in Texas. Um, some of the best investigators I've ever worked with are the Houston Police Department, Dallas Police Department, San Antonio Police Department. Um, but when you go to work for the state, when you go to work for DPS, uh, the Rangers are like seeing, and it's still in in, in, in in real life, they're like seeing something, um, it's like bird watching. You, you never see them. <laughs> You never see them. You don't see a ranger on TV giving interviews. You don't see them taking credit for stuff. But if you watch the news tonight, and there's a major case, you'll see the guy back there in the white shirt with the hat, and the, you can tell who he is. So it's a low-profile division. Uh, so I didn't go into DPS telling people I want to be a ranger. You know, it was like something like uh, something that a dream of mine to be, but it was so few. Um, I didn't think at that time that my goal was to be the best state trooper I could be. And I didn't want to be a narcotics agent or motor vehicle theft agent or see. I, I wanted to be a highway patrolman. And I ended up yeah. even becoming a highway patrol sergeant before uh, I was a ranger and uh, at a very young age and was command of the highway patrol in Bear County, which was this huge county. At the time when I got promoted uh, to highway patrol sergeant, I had a captain, uh out of San Antonio. He died here recently. He was a uh, World War II uh, vet and was a legendary uh, captain in the highway patrol, uh, which was a very high command at the time. still is. Um, And he called me and I was the next up to make sergeant. And I was a 28-year-old highway patrolman. And the average highway patrol sergeant in the... Texas at that time was in their mid to late 40s and most of them in their 50s, you know. And and he called me. And the way that works is you, if you make a list, uh, uh, you make it in a numerical order. And as the openings come open, they're yours. You know, so if you and I went and in, in tested uh, and you were number one and I was number two and say the high-wip toll sergeant in Corsicana retires, you got first pick. Then you go to Corsicana, you know. Uh, so it just happened that when I made it, the next, the next guy up uh, was from the San Antonio area. Uh, and I wasn't, I was I home in Fort Bend County, but he was a trooper also, but in that area. And I kind of wanted him, you know? And uh, so the captain from there called me and said, hey, uh, why don't you do me a favor? And he didn't say it in that, those words. And bump to number two, let the number one guy take San Antonio, you know, and uh, you'll go to the number two spot. And I had never lived in San Antonio. I'd never been to San Antonio. Uh, But I said, give me overnight to think about it, which kind of threw him back. You know, he was like, he thought I was going to say yes, sir, as soon as I did, as soon as he called me. And I, I talked to a couple of people and they said, look, San Antonio for the highway patrol, especially at that time, was one of the busiest hubs. In the states, I thought they were going to talk me out of it. So he said, "You'll either go there, and you will succeed tremendously, or you'll go there and fail, and you'll retire a high drill sergeant in San Antonio." So I talked to my wife, and she said, "Let's go to San Antonio." And I went to San Antonio, and uh, walked in there. and My office was across the hall from the ranger office, which uh, so it was just like a career. It, it's those things in life that just happen that that you do, you know. I I told anybody could have done what I did. It's just being in the right place at the right time and going with with, what life brings you. So I ended up in San Antonio as highway patrol sergeant, and from there I made Ranger.
0: Well, let's unpack a little bit about uh, some of the folks listening may not know. There's The Texas Rangers today, the modern Texas Rangers, are a division of the Department of Public Safety, which also includes the Highway Patrol, uh, which is what everybody is familiar with, hopefully not. Uh, from getting pulled over, but um, we see the black and white cars on the highway all the time. So other than the highway patrol and the Rangers, what are the other divisions of DPS that you could work in?
1: Well, I mean, you've got the, the CID division, which is a criminal when, when I made Ranger inside that division. And that's where the Rangers were and and then were made their own division. But in the criminal investigation division, you have the intelligence unit, narcotics, uh, motor vehicle theft. Um, you have the, uh, other uniformed, you know, services that make up inspection at that time, that made up uh, uh, the motor vehicle, driver's license, all the stuff that went with it. Uh, but a, a quick note about those divisions and all everything that's happened within DPS, the Rangers were their own entity. and And you very well know this. You know, yeah. you're such a student of Texas history. But the Rangers Law Enforcement Branch, after the Civil War, you know, after the turn of the century, the last century, uh, were part of the adjutant general's office, you know. So they were they reported to what was then the Texas adjutant general and the highway department. That by 1935 was building highways in Texas, and and there was no real rural law enforcement in Texas. You know, I mean, even now, if you go out west, you may have a county where you have four deputies, two deputies, you know. Uh, so think about this in 1935. It was vast. I've talked to the highway uh that worked in Houston back in, that started on motorcycles, and they their patrol area would be from Houston to Wharton to Galveston to Victoria. That was their area. So the highway department had what they called the highway patrol. So in 1935, the legislature passed a law and established the Texas Department of Public Safety. And when they did that, They brought together the Texas Rangers and the Texas Highway Patrol into one department. So there were only two divisions. So I don't want to go into too much of it, but every other division within the Texas Department of Public Safety, every one of them in that book over there talks about it, um, was started by the Texas Rangers. So when a need came up, the department would branch off and start a new division. So the first one being the intelligence division. So think about the time frame. 1935, the department is established. In the 19, by the 1940s, we were in World War II. And during World War II, unless you're a study of history and think it was all in, uh, in Europe or in the South Pacific, we had our own threats to this country, you know, and not just Hawaii that was bombed by the Japanese, but we had threats against our own coast. You know, if you go to Galveston, which I know you do all the time, uh, you'll see the old, where, where they had the cannons put up. What do you call those? You know, the big... artillery. Yeah, the, the coast, artillery yeah. and all that. And so, you know, we were scared of invasion through Mexico. They were scared of invasion through uh, the Gulf, the Gulf, Texas Gulf Coast, through the East Coast. So they formed the intelligence unit uh, at the Texas Department of Public Safety that was working with the federal government on, uh, during issues during World War II. And that division, which became the CID division but started as the intelligence division, was started by uh, Manuel Gonzalez, Lone Wolf Gonzalez of fame. Uh, he was tasked with that job, took over that division. He started the first lab division because we needed forensics. Um, and then as the 50s and 60s, when we started needing narcotics divisions, they would put a, a ranger captain in charge of that. Uh, The aircraft division, uh, SWAT, uh, the uh, motor vehicle theft division was started by a ranger captain. So everything that branched out, its genesis came from working rangers, working it, then needing a specialty, starting that next division. That's how the whole department was built that we
0: know today. Well, let's go back to your own career. So you're a highway patrol sergeant, um, and, and for the listener's benefit, you have to be A DPS officer of some sort to be a Texas Ranger and that's still the case although they've changed it over the years the time requirements but what were the requirements when you made Ranger so
1: when I made Ranger and I don't know that they've changed them since then uh, judge uh, it's been you have to have eight years Commission time as a law enforcement officer. as a law enforcement officer Uh, four of which have to be with the Texas Department of Public Safety so you know there's been many a law enforcement officer, sheriff's deputy, mostly sheriff's departments that I know of that work closely with the Rangers. And I've got you know, my good friend, Jim Scoggins, who just died uh, last year, you knew him, uh, was a Ranger Lieutenant. Uh, but he was a very esteemed and uh, well thought of officer uh, for 25 years. Uh, he had worked locally in San Antonio, was an investigator, and then worked for the Texas Attorney General's office as an investigator. But he wanted to be a ranger, and the rangers wanted him to be a ranger. So at 40-something years old, he went through the DPS Academy, worked four years as a high-whip trowman, and then went into the ranger division. So it's, a, it's just a, it's a requirement. It comes from the days of patronage back in the day when uh, a lot of rangers, in some of the problem times in history— were appointed uh, uh, by governors uh, with not good intentions and so they changed that law I believe in the 70s maybe early 80s uh, that you had to be I knew a couple of rangers I was able to know rangers that had been appointed prior to that so they had been uh, uh, like Ray Martinez the of fame with the tower he was never a state trooper he was a uh, appointed narcotics agent by dps in austin for a couple years before he made ranger Um, and i worked with him and knew him well but that era after those people retired uh i think in the 70s uh it changed into you had to be uh a a dps officer first and it, it works better for several reasons uh you work within the department you know the department you know the department policies um and everybody i've ever talked to is always uh TPS wants to teach you how to do things the DPS way and not coming in with your own ideas of what law enforcement should be.
0: Well, when you were um, that highway patrol sergeant and looking at Ranger, what process did you go through to make Ranger? You know, the process
1: is stringent. It was um, every year, you know, one or two Rangers will retire. Every now and then, the legislature will add due to population or growth and, re- and request by uh, uh, the Department of Public Safety or because of some new um, mandate put on the department, say, by the governor or the legislature, well, we're gonna need five more people to do that or three more people to do that. Uh, but when I made it in the, in the early 90s, uh, there was only two or three openings a year and that would be through attrition. And it, it things, lots of things have changed. Uh, but back then, the mac- maximum years was 65 to work. You know, now there is no timeline like that, but that was the policy at that time. So you'd have every year two or three Rangers or, or other DPS, wherever you were at, they were retiring because they were hitting that 65. Same way with the FBI, same way with, with other agencies. And uh, so the, the process was that they would interview two to three candidates per, per opening. So let's say two guys retired, they're gonna they're gonna consider six people. Um, so first, you're you're evaluated on your career, who you are, what you've done. Uh, secondly, you compete with each other in a written test, and it's not a written test like you would think of. I mean, it's a it's a I'm sure it's nothing you've been. It's nothing like the bar but it is extreme. I mean, people study for years, and it's about, you know, minute details in the code of criminal procedure, minute details in case law, um, uh, uh, forensics. I mean, you've got to really take on a study course to test to be a ranger. Some of it you've learned during your career, and some of it you've You know, you just have to study. You just have to, I'm going to study what this case law is and and what brought about, you know, this case law and search and seizure law and all those things because you need to know them when you get out there. And uh, so you take that written test and then let's say, and this is no exaggeration, let's say there's two to five openings and 400 people take that test and they're going to interview 10. So when you take that 10, that test, it's um, the top 10 scores will then proceed to the next. So so now let's say you competed with 300 people on that test. 290 of them are gone. And those next 10, uh, the, and it's done a little differently now, but back then, you asked me about me, uh, the Rangers then get a packet. And they say, well, Ken Wise, and nobody knows, that score, is, nobody knows it anymore. You could be number one on it. Or number 10 on that test and the packet will go to the ranger company where you're at in my case san antonio and they will do an in-depth background now at that time i was surprised joe peters did my background they went to my element they went to my high school and talked to people i'd gone to school with they talked to teachers they talked to principals they went to my college instructors and talked to them they talked to the people I worked with at uh, Auto Supply prior to becoming a DPS trooper. Um, they talked to the people I worked for there. My, They went and inter- they, they, they interviewed all these people who did backgrounds on families, uh, came to my home, uh, wanted to interview my wife separately, uh, wanted to see how you lived, uh, interviewed neighbors, all that stuff. And they put together a packet. And then you go with, now you've got your written score and you've got the evaluation done by the Rangers that sign off on, you know, recommended to proceed or not recommended for whatever reason that they you know, may see. And then you go to an interview board and the interview board were usually, it was usually headed by a Ranger captain. It would have a couple of Ranger lieutenants on it, a Ranger and someone from another division. And they would just go around, they just, it's like an interview board for any job, you know, but you got six people firing at you. And then they give independent scores. Those scores are uh, kind of an elliptic system. So their scores are all combined, divided by six, you get a score. So you got your score from all three of these things that have happened. And then the top scores will get those two positions. So that's that's the process I, I made ranger at i came out number two overall uh dave duncan who's west texas guy came out number one uh and we made ranger that year and in
0: that year what year was it? That? that would have been 1994. 1994 it's my understanding you were the youngest ranger ever in the modern era of the texas rangers that's so. that's correct that's correct. um So where was your first deployment? And Rangers don't get really a choice of where they go. Where was your first deployment as a Ranger Sergeant?
1: My first deployment was Liberty, Texas, uh, which is not a suburb, but it's a county over from Houston. But let me tell you something. I had grown up in Fort Bend County, where it borders Harris County. Liberty County is on the other side of Harris County, and Harris County's a big county, and borders Harris County. I had never been to Harris County. I'm a South Texas boy. I'd never been to, I've no, been to Harris County. I'd never been to Liberty County. I'm a South Texas guy, Fort Bend County guy. And uh, so my roots are in rural Grand Valley. And other than that, I knew Fort Bend County and Southwest Houston, kind of and grew up there. But there was no, I couldn't think of a bigger difference in two places than old country, old 90 Liberty between Houston and Beaumont and Fort Bend County. It was like, geographically, the people, the area, was so different than anywhere I'd ever been. I tell people I learned to be a policeman in Liberty County, or I learned to be a ranger and detective in Liberty County.
0: Well, you're going to have to explain that for the listeners. What do you mean? That's a profound statement.
1: Tell us what you mean by that. So it was for people that don't know the area, Fort Bend County has developed with Houston. And U.S. 59 runs through it, through southwest Houston, but it's back when you and I grew up here, Uh, Sharpstown, Westwood, a very vibrant part of Houston. And Fort Bend County grew with that and left being a prison County, uh, much like Huntsville was, to becoming a suburb of Houston, much like the Woodlands, Kingwood, and all that. Liberty County was a hub back in the boom day of Spindletop, the oil field in Southeast Texas. The difference is I-10 was built, and the main route through Liberty County was 90. So once I-10 was built, and bypassed Liberty County and actually went straighter to Beaumont and the Golden Triangle, as we call it, on I-10, Liberty County uh, stayed rural, much smaller, didn't grow into a suburb of Houston. There's a big patch between Houston proper and Liberty with Crosby and all those areas in between them, Dayton Mm -hmm. and all those areas. So it never grew like the rest of it, but it still had a, a, a lot of rough, uh, people, I, I love the people in Liberty County, but some of it I, I say they're like, uh, you're, you, you, it's more like you're in the swamplands of Louisiana sometimes, you know, and they're river people. And that's a whole episode you could do on river people because <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a different culture. People live there because they want to live there, um, uh, much more uh, independent people. I remember going into a bar in 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 Moss Bluff, Texas, which is in Liberty, Texas, and I was with a sheriff's deputy who I ended up becoming best friends with. That's another story. He and I became I made ranger and he made detective in Liberty County on the same day, but we bullshitted each other and think we knew what we were doing for about six months, and then finally told the other one, you know, I've only been doing this six months, and he told me, yeah, me too, you know. uh, Worked many murders together. It's a rough area. Uh, But anyway, we went, we were going to arrest a guy on a murder warrant, and uh, we're going into this bar, and we knew he was in there because we'd been told he was in there, and there's no SWAT teams at that time in Liberty. He just went in and arrested people. He kicked in doors or yanked them out by the collar, and he said, this deputy looks at me and he says, no backup, he looks at me and says, you know, we go in there, we're going to have to fight this old boy and probably whoever's with him and the people sitting in here, and if you get your ass kicked, you're not going to be able to work in this county anymore. And I said okay, so we went in there, and we did have to fight them, and we did pull them out, and 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 we did. It. But that's what I say. But I was used to a more refined police work <laughs> than went on in Liberty County uh, back then. But I loved it because you did everything. You you answer. You know, when I was a ranger in Liberty County, I worked uh, forgeries, burglaries, murders, arson,s public corruption. Because you did everything, everything. You were the police there. You know, and so. Uh, it was a wonderful place uh to come up
0: well that um was there a point in liberty county uh, where you really finally felt like a texas ranger and if so what was that moment
1: yeah and the moment was when i started and it's going to be i never thought about that question but I know when it was, and it's when local, you know, it was a ranger policy back then. Judge, your name was in the phone book. We didn't hide, and a lot of policemen have unlisted numbers because they don't want people bothering them or they didn't. They felt threatened. Uh, but the ranger policy, and this was a policy. It wasn't like you can if you want to, you know. It was like your name will be in what we. Uh, maybe not everybody listening will remember. But we used to have phone books, right? <laughs> you know, the local phone book, and so. it it wasn't hard to find me in Liberty County because there wasn't many Hispanics in Liberty County. So if you looked at, my wife is a school teacher there. So if you looked up Liao, Tony Liao, it was me. And so when I I felt, and a ranger told me this later, uh, that I had become a ranger or part of that community was when people would call me at home with an issue or a problem uh they wouldn't call the sheriff's department they wouldn't call dps uh and i'm not talking about other law enforcement officers i'm talking about the community you know uh, that you work with and that and that you were part of that community and part of working those crimes and maybe even bringing something to the da uh they had a wonderful d out there at the time old school guy uh mike uh i'll think of his name here in a little bit um and an old-time sheriff there that had been with DPS for 40 years. So to answer your question, it wasn't some solve-a-crime moment or kicking the door moment. It was when people came to me, not because I was Tony Leal, but community would come to, to me and other rangers because you were the ranger and they trusted that and, and were looking for, thinking they couldn't go somewhere else. And that that's when I felt when i started to realize what it meant
0: and that that i would say is probably a direct result of the 100 plus years that had come before you and the reputations that the ranger had built which i want to get into with you cuz you're a student of history also but we're going to do that a little later i want to okay. jump i know i'm jumping from your personal story to more general information but i want the listeners to get a feel for how the rangers are structured and you're raising various issues so tell us uh, you mentioned the sheriff's office, the city police department, the DPS, and the Rangers. So, talk a little bit about Ranger jurisdiction. Uh, what is the Ranger jurisdiction, and and how do y'all interact with all those other law enforcement agencies? So,
1: the Rangers are are governed and protected by the Texas Government Code. Uh, the legislature has made it clear that the that the Ranger Division, and it's not even the DPS isn't even this way. There is state law that, that as long as texas is an independent state the, the texas ranger division cannot be done away with you know and it is a uh, the, it is a division within the department but you know if you even 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 the governor i hear him say on tv i'm sending dps and the texas rangers you know you can look at you know in on, in the newspaper on the uh, on a soundbite i'm sending the texas department of public safety and the texas rangers because it is to itself, it is part of the DPS, it is our parent division, uh, but it's it's bigger than that. And and for me, this you know right now, and I, I know you've talked about this on your show. We're 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 not celebrating, but we're commemorating the 200th year anniversary of the Rangers. And to me the Rangers are Texas. There's no Texas history without Ranger history. And there is no Ranger history without Texas history. So it's bigger than that to me. you know. And I'm going to go into your specific question, what you talked about. But for me, it's like this... Um, people tell me, well, thank you for your service. I don't... I, I love it that people are thankful for my service. But it has been... Such an honor uh, to be a ranger, and I mean not that I'm proud. An honor to have been part of this legacy, and you have such a beautiful way of. Maybe you need you need to do your definition of legacy sometime in general uh, on the podcast because it pertains to lots of things. of Texas legacy, um, but to be part of the Texas legacy, you know. Texas is just different from anywhere else. It's different than any other part of the world. It's different than any other state in the Union. Um, The Rangers are the oldest law enforcement entity, organized entity in the Americas. And I mean, even when I talk about the United States, I'm talking about the, the Mounties, the Royal Mounted Canadian police who are very much like the Rangers and their history is very much like the Rangers we're 50 years older than them, you know? So it's it's just this, it's a Texas thing, you know? And it has grown with Texas, and it has grown with Texas and digressed with Texas and then grown with Texas. And uh, I say that the Rangers, really any government entity, is a reflection of society itself. And I think, uh, so... How is it broke down? That was the original question.
0: Well, I tell you what. Let me interrupt you. Okay. We're going to get to that. I'm going to re-ask the question, which okay. was about ranger jurisdiction. But I want to, I want to play off what you said because you said some really important things, and I can see uh, the listeners can't see you when you're saying it, but you really, it's really deep and meaningful to you, uh, as it is to me, as part of the government of Texas, the honor of being a part of the fabric of the state and the government and the society and. and having a, a just a tiny bit of influence or whatever is really an honor for a Texan. And that's why I tell everyone at the end of the podcast, go out and do something for Texas because you too can be a part of this. But I want to go back uh, to something that you said about the breadth of ranger service because, you know, when the rangers started, and, and people that have gone back and listened to episode, I think, 120 about the origins of the rangers, you know, it was a law enforcement sort of arm of the Mexican government. It was a Mexican organization first just like texas was a mexican province first and and the fabric of our now state and the fabric of the rangers starts there and it starts in mexico and uh, the traditions have built over 200 years and there's not much in texas that's 200 years old so that's really really amazing and uh, so i'll say it thank you for your service but now let's go back to the modern era and tell us the jurisdiction of the texas rangers because you showed up we were talking about liberty county and you've got to meet and interact with the police department, the sheriff's department. Where do you fit into all that as a ranger?
1: You know, it's going to be different county to county.
0: Um, usually, the, so
1: we'll go back to your original question, and then I'll move it through. Our, the jurisdiction of the rangers is the state of Texas. And by state law, anywhere that pertains to a state crime. So I've worked, I've spent weeks in Manhattan, uh, walking around in a cowboy hat in the '90s, looking for a guy that I had to put in jail on an organized crime violation. Here, I've worked in Montreal, in Quebec. Uh, we've had rangers work in South America, in Mexico. I've been to Mexico several times. Some of those I can't tell those stories on a podcast. No, uh, we're not asking about them. <laughs> yeah, but but to bring back fugitives out of Mexico, um, working with Mexican government officials. So the jurisdiction is any and all in the government I'm not going to quote it but I will paraphrase it all rights privileges and authority given to the sheriffs of Texas are hereby given to the Texas Rangers except that their jurisdiction shall and it's not the words not spread but shall be in every county of Texas so you know a lot of people don't know this happened a couple of times uh, there was something about San Jacinto County in the paper this week, uh, but the department, the governor, the TPS uh, can take over a county, you know. And during those times, the DPS becomes your sheriff's department, and the Rangers become the investigative branch. We do it. DPS does it during uh, in major emergencies, you know. During uh, Ike, uh, I was made the com- the commander over Bolivar and Galveston Island, you know, as a ranger captain. And we're in charge of all law enforcement out there. So it just, it it takes, you have the authority of any law enforcement officer, all the authority of any law enforcement officer. However, you can do it in every county. So let's say you issue a search warrant in Harris County uh, for, uh, you know, to search the residents or or to arrest someone, and that person ends up that they're in, and you're going to search them in Guadalupe County. There's two ways that can happen. The Houston police can go and get with the Guadalupe County Sheriff's Department and go find that guy and put him in jail. Or a ranger can just arrest the guy or woman in Guadalupe County and put him in jail on your state warrant issued by a district judge. So it's uh, it's that kind of a... That is the jurisdiction. Uh, working with counties, it differs from county to county. Um, most counties, the captain has... Uh, memos of understanding with all the local departments. When I was in Seguin, uh, I worked closely there with the, with the DA's office and with the local sheriff's department. And I was on the call list. If there was a murder anywhere in Guadalupe County or in Gonzales County or Wilson County, that dispatcher would, would, um, contact me at home and say, Hey, we have a murder, you know, in Seguin and I would go work at, with Seguin PD or the sheriff's department. Uh, you know, Texas is a big state and there's a lot of egos out there. So there are some county sheriffs that don't particularly like working with the Rangers. Um, And you can uh, look at those individual counties and see why. Um, There's stuff in the Newspaper Chronicle this week about some of that stuff. Uh, But for the most part, especially in the rural counties, the Rangers are your homicide unit they are your uh, major crime unit and the sheriffs know that and they know that they don't have and it's not their fault they don't have the resources to have aircraft and they don't have the resources to have a forensic team to come out and work a scene um, they don't have the manpower when you have a murder to set a deputy just to work that murder for months maybe or years they don't have a case cold case unit so our state even though we have Houston, Dallas, San Antonio and cities like Austin our state is still very rural and you travel a lot you know once you get outside of Houston it's a rural area and and not with a lot of tax base sometimes so the sheriff's departments are smaller Uh, all law enforcement has had a, a recent uh, challenge in recruiting you know I think it's a pendulum it's going to come back up but right now even the DPS I just saw a deal on the DPS page where they're going to interview and do a recruiting day I think in one in Virginia one in Tennessee and that would never have happened when I was uh, you couldn't get into DPS the lines were so long uh, of people wanting to get in so uh, it's the same jurisdiction as a police officer has and covers the state. And any offense, so if you if somebody does an offense here and runs to Nevada,
0: we go get them. So you you assist local law enforcement, particularly in times when they don't have the resources that a DPS right. can bring to bear, right. which a ranger has the authority to do. What would you say are the typical four or five cases that rangers see the most often? Okay, and that's going
1: to depend where you're at, you know, because... If you're a ranger in Houston, you're going to be working a lot of public corruption. You're going to be working uh, police shootings. Uh, You're going to be working on cases that have maybe a nexus to another area. Like, you know, Houston's a great place to hide. Dallas is a great place to hide. San Antonio is a great place to hide. So the rangers in Houston work a lot of, hey, we've got a suspect that we, you know, have a murder warrant for out of Tyler and uh, we think they're somewhere in Houston, go find them, you know, or we have witnesses. Uh, so in those areas, those major cities, you're gonna be the lead, uh, you know, we have rangers stationed on the public corruption unit that work with the Harris County DA's office, Bend County DA's office, all the surrounding areas, and they're doing public corruption investigations with um, uh, the local district attorneys uh, or for the local district attorneys, not so much with them. Uh, and when I say public we're not talking about police we're talking about all kinds of corruption it could be in state government it could be in in city government it could be a police officer it could be a commissioner you know all those types of deals uh, you're not going to find usually in the Houston area but I'm going to give you an example when you do uh, the ranger getting called to a murder scene that happened on at, on Kirby Drive in Houston tonight now they may come to assist later And we have a close working relationship uh, with the Houston Police Department. So there may be aspects of that as the Houston Police Department is investigating that crime that they work with Houston. However, in other parts, like let's say in Bel Air, Texas, or in uh, the university, those rangers work with those small departments like that all the time, and they may get called to a murder in the middle of the night and say, hey, look, we got a really bad one. That's how Drew Carter got involved in the Rosendis case. Drew Carter was called by, um, by the police department when they found the body there and kind of got to work in that and ended up putting Resendez in jail on, that, uh, on the uh, railroad killings. So it just depends where you're at. If you're in a rural area, you work everything. So if you're, you know, and it depends, the more rural, the more everything you get, you know. So when I was in Seguin, I was working burglaries. I was working all the murders in those counties. Uh, And when you combine them, I I know at one time I was the ranger captain in in Houston was doing numbers because for manpower and budgets. And I had worked more murders in one year in my area Than a homicide detective in San Antonio would work in his area. And what I mean by that, we didn't have more homicides, but let's say there were 10 or 15 homicide detectives in San Antonio Police Department, and each one of them had a load of so many murders, my load was higher uh, because in that area, the Mexican Mafia had been so prolific, they had been run out of San Antonio by the San Antonio Police Department, and they took up living in Atascosa County, Guadalupe County, Comel County, and our murder rate went way up, and I was just working murder after murder after murder in those areas. Uh, But you're going to work the armed robberies. You're going to work assaults, sexual assaults. Um, We work a lot with the university systems uh, to assist their police. Uh, Texas Lutheran University didn't really have, they had crime that went on there. Uh, Sam, uh, Texas State University had crime. There are these little subcultures right like their own cities and they have great police departments but they don't have to have a lot of detectives that work at a university u of h does but they don't out there so anytime they'd have a major crime there they would call so it would depend how rural you get and i would say this you know cattle theft uh uh, uh, ranch in burglaries uh robberies and then the more rural you get you may be a ranger in a car and you hear on the radio that you got a loud noise disturbance and go knock on the door and tell them, you know, because the sheriff's department, their one deputy may be on the other side of Maverick County, and you're closer to the deal, and you'll just tell this, but I'll take that. So it just really it depends on where you're at. And I'll, I'll say this real quick. With that also, you'll be amazed, the, even the culture within the ranger division and the looks, when you get to Austin, everybody gets to Austin, you can tell which rangers walking up that just got there from Alpine, And which ranger's walking up that just got there from Houston? It's a different uh, dynamic.
0: Well, that wraps it up for part one of the interview with Tony Leal. Stay tuned. In uh, the next few days, I'm going to release part two. Thank you very much for joining Wise About Texas today. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash wiseabouttexas. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at wiseabouttexas and go out and do something for Texas today. Until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.